This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, you're listening to Beyond the Ballot Box with me, Dafran Johan. Party Socialist Malaysia has launched a campaign urging the government to implement a pension scheme for senior citizens. The party is urging the government to provide 500 ringgit a month to all retirees above the age of 65. Now, in a statement, PSM Chairperson Dr. Jayakumar Devaraj said that such a scheme would help around 1.8 million senior citizens lead a dignified life as well as reduce the financial burden on their children. So join me on the show today to unpack this is Sivarajan Arumugam. He's the Secretary General of Party Socialist Malaysia. Welcome to the show, Siva. How are you? Fine, Dashan. Thanks for having me. Could you just start by explaining the proposed Senior Citizens Pension Scheme by PSM and why you think it's important, especially right now? Well, Dashan, you see, as far as uh, pensions are concerned, um, I think um, just to explain a bit, because sometimes uh, people think that pensions means is that something that you get a benefit if you are in government service. But if you look throughout the world, there's more than 100 over countries, they have some kind of pension scheme for their elderly citizens. So there is such things like a universal uh, pension scheme, whereby um, irrespective of whatever uh, qualifications that you have, uh, as long as you meet that age, you will get a pension. That's known as universal. So it does not matter whether you have been a government servant or you have been in the private sector. Then there is also something known as like a universal minimum pension, uh, which of course goes by uh, targeting people who don't get government pensions, but the rest of the the people who have achieved that age. And of course, the third one is a pension scheme, which is based on means test, which is very much stricter, uh, which we can say is quite similar to the Bantuan uh, Warga Mas that we have today. That means not all of the senior citizens who have reached the age of 60 or 65 will get it, but they have to fulfill certain uh, conditions, whether your background, your family background, whether there are children taking care of you, are you single, and so on. So I think what PSM is proposing is somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are talking about something like a universal pension scheme uh, for those who don't have any other source of income, who don't, who are not government servants, don't get government pensions, Uh, those who don't get any other benefits. So these are the people that we think it's very important for the government to support. Um, And what we are proposing in our uh, scheme and in our campaign is that we want all those above the year uh, who have been already achieved 65 years old. Right. So automatically, once you've achieved 65 years, uh, we hope that this pension scheme will be implemented. And those, like I said, who don't get any other government pensions, and we hope that they will be given this pension uh, until the uh, and until they pass on. And if um, there's a family with husband and wife who have also achieved uh, 65 years and above, both of them should be given uh, this 500 uh, ringgit pension. So that's basically the, the overall layout of what we are thinking about, lah. Right. Now, um, Siva, we already have um, EPF, which is meant to be retirement savings. Um, for those who may not understand, how is this different? How is a pension scheme different from uh, the existing EPF um, retirement savings fund? You see, EPF, of course, our employees' uh, provident fund, uh, this was actually supposed to be our savings that we could use when we achieve uh, 60 years or when we retire. 
But unfortunately, this, we are in a very dire situation now, uh, and especially all the statistics which is going coming out from EPF, from the government. I mean, they are saying what, according to the 2021 report, uh, what EPF is saying that there's at least 6.2 million people uh, less than 55 years old. They have only 10,000 ringgit in their savings. I mean, the whole savings, you know, that's all they have. Right. I mean, how are they going to even achieve the minimum which the government is talking about? If you have a, a lifespan of 20 years after you retire and you just basically draw a thousand ringgit monthly, then you would actually require a minimum of 240,000. But these people only have 10,000, you know? Right. And then you have uh, a, a lot of people who are even have less than that. So clearly this shows that your EPF savings, which should, should have been your old age savings, is clearly not sufficient. It will not assist you uh, during your golden years. And that is why that we really require such a pension scheme to support people. Now, of course, people might ask, I mean, what is 500? But I think that that small amount which sort of will actually cover certain expenses. And the reason that why PSM is proposing this is that I think it gives uh, a kind of dignity to the person in their, uh, in their golden years. So they don't have to depend for everything with, to their children or from the government for or for welfare, you know. So I think that dignity is very important, and especially if the person has worked and slogged so hard throughout their uh, active working years, and in their golden years they are actually forced to go back to work or they are forced to you know hope for some kind of assistance. This 500 pension, if they are guaranteed uh, some source of income monthly. It will actually help them, you know. Actually, they can buy food. I mean, they can take care of basic expenses. I mean, it all rounds up to giving them a dignity so that they can uh, self-sustain themselves and don't have to rely. And that is very important. Uh, giving back, empowering them, and giving back the dignity. What is the reality on the ground? Um, what are the challenges, Siva, faced by senior citizens in this country? I think the reality on the ground is exactly uh, what spurred us to. Uh, Uh, sort of propose such a pension scheme, mm-hmm. and it, most of them who are above 60 years, we find that they are working. Um, they have to work, in fact, especially those from the B40 group, because you know that those who have come out from the B40, uh, only a very small percentage you would have their children who have done, uh, I mean, uh, very well. Probably they have really increased their income, and they would have uh, a lot of resources to support their parents. But a majority of them, you will also find that their children, uh, we uh, they would not have escaped the B40 income level. So they are also struggling uh, based on the cost of living. So while they are struggling in this situation, how are they going to take care of the elderly parents, especially when the cost for taking care for nursing them is increasing? Especially they will having more medical issues, more health issues. So we find that most of them, even though they are Not uh, fully active, they might not be so healthy. They have some medical issues, but they are forced to go back to work, and this is the reality that we found. And the other thing also, you'll find that those who are seeking employment after 60 years of age, uh, because the the mandatory retirement age by the government is 60 years old, so those who seek employment after 60 years, they are put on a contract basis, on a yearly contract, meaning that. Besides getting a low wage, you are also don't have any kind of job security. The employer basically can just fire you, I mean, uh, at any time. So there's a loss of job security in in that way. And we also find that most of them they go back to low-paying jobs uh, because 
uh, these are the, the mainly they work as security guards. Uh, they will work in uh, small menial work here and there. And we also find that they are only earning a minimum wage, even though they are working for long hours. So we find that um, even though they go back to work, they end up in low paying jobs and the increase in medical costs, the increase in cost of living. And we also found that um, those who are receiving the Bantuan Warga Amas, I mean, there's not many actually. Uh, the Jabatan Kebajikan Masyarakat basically said there's only about 140,000 uh, recipients of the Bantuan Warga Emas mm-hmm. compared to an actual population of 4.1 million uh, people who are above 60 years of age. So there's very little people because this, like I said, is based on a means test. So not everyone will qualify. So we find there's a huge chunk of people who really need help and they're simply not getting it and they are really struggling. And if you really want to look at uh, uh, how much really do they really require, we can maybe reflect on the Bank Nagara report in 2018 right. when they basically said that a single adult for them to survive in Klang Valley on KL, they would actually need a minimum of 2,700 ringgit per month. Absolutely. Uh, so that's in, yeah, that's in Klang Valley. But if, even though we just take 2,000 ringgit, for example, that even that will work out to what say more than 24000 uh, in a in a year so this is the money that they don't have and this is the money they i mean the epf savings like i said earlier is so little so how can they sustain and so most of these people they are forced to find some kind of income and s- those who still can work they just go back to work siva you mentioned something very um, important which i would like you to unpack you said that a lot of times um in the B40 community, it's this sort of cycle, right? Um, because the, you grow up in a B40 family, then your children end up getting a, a sort of B40 income. And, and that's a cycle that um, they struggle to break out of. Can you explain this a little bit? Well, you see, uh, this is what we say is that because usually the common narrative that everyone looks at is that everyone has got an equal chance to be successful in life. But in reality, that is not the way um, because people are starting from different starting lines. Even though everyone's in the same race, uh, they are under the same government, they are under the same government policies, but the starting line for each one in that particular race is different. So that's why the people from the B40 community, either they could be from the rural area or from the urban poor, they will have different facilities which they can make use of for them to have... uh, to, to take part in education, to take part in, uh, to to experience different facilities from the government. So all this actually you have to take into account. And that is why that uh, a lot of people talk about education themselves. But even though the whole curriculum might be the same, but how students receive this, how they are able to understand, how they are able to get the resources and the facilities so they can enhance their educational ability, it's very, very different. Of course, there might be a minority who will excel, even though they are from the B40, but you cannot generalize that to saying that, yes, all of the B40 have the same opportunity. And that is not the only thing. You know, B40, uh, most of them will have to be end up in public housing. So the whole scenario, the whole environment there is very different. Uh, basically, the, 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 the situation like ghettos. So this... Uh, inhibits the ability to really excel and not to have a full freedom to uh, perform uh, in their in their most uh, ability. So all this sort of contributes in how they were uh, will 
achieve in the education or in their jobs most of them you'll also find that the families which are maybe single parent families you will find their children after 15 or 16 they will drop out because they know that their single parent is unable to support them and in a way either they are forced or voluntarily they will go back to seek jobs so very rarely they would be going uh, further up for tertiary education and so on so all of this we have to take into account whereby um uh, the majority from the b40 uh, only a minimal amount of uh, uh, of their children will sort of like escape and go into the m40 and we also found that this is also not a very it's a it's a very it's a very volatile situation as we have seen during the covid whereby people you know just fall back into b40 when they lose their income and they lose their businesses so it's not a very clear cut situation that you will always you will remain even though you are m40 and um, so these things actually play a very important role to say that you no know, to 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 just to make a sweeping statement to say that okay yes you know you are able to do this and you know they should be able to perform and so on Absolutely, I think this reflects some interesting stud- studies that not many have been done in Malaysia, but in the US, you know, they they have done some sort of experiments and they talk about how you know you can predict how poor a person is going to be when they grow up just by seeing where they are born, um, which highlights mm-hmm. this this vicious cycle that people are struggling to get out of. But I'm wondering, um, do you see all of these problems that you talked about getting worse, considering that we are an aging society? I believe that. Most more than 7% of our population already is over the age of 65 and um experts are saying that this number is only expected to go up yes certainly um, i mean we are an aging society i mean not only in malaysia i mean throughout the region throughout the world mm-hmm. i mean it's estimated that um uh, in two, in 2023 this year there's one in eight person uh, they are already above 60 years of age and this is going to increase in 2030 it's expected that one in seven persons will be uh, more than 60 years old i mean that's about really up to 15% right and in 2040 we can expect about one in five persons will be uh, the, uh, within the more than 60 years old or more than age society and we're looking at this also that this thing is made worse whereby uh, as we can see today with the great push to withdraw your epf savings so what is going to happen to this current generation when they retire in 2030 or in 2040 is that their epf savings is completely going to be depleted and they have nothing to to rely on so we are going to see an uh, an old age poverty situation arising very very soon and this is very very dangerous um besides that we also find that the cost of living is always increasing and the other issue that we always uh, overlook is that um, the wage structure that we have in our country right it does not mean that these people are you know they they are not uh, financially uh, educated they don't know how to manage their finances they are wasting their money it's not like that because if you really look at some of the epf statistics themselves now we need to really ask a question there is a statistics uh, like i said earlier which says that an average savings for a person who is like 50 to 54 years old an average saving was only about 127000 and those who are 55 to 59 years old their average saving is much less only about 100 300 100 1000 and so on right so this really uh, makes us to uh, ask the question why a person who have actively been involved in their work life from 18 years old probably to about 60 years old why do they end up with a such a low epf savings what has gone wrong 
So here is where this is what will bring back, bring us back to the question that how much were they actually earning during their active working life? Like I said, most of those people who are working under, uh, I, I can take the example of what PSM has been working on the the contract workers in hospitals and also schools. Right. There's clearly about more than about uh, hundred over thousand people like this, and because of the whole contract system itself, which is renewed every three years, they remain in being paid a minimum wage, even though they worked for ten years, fifteen years, or twenty years. Now, this is a very sad situation whereby there's no seniority, there's no increment in wages, basically because of the contract system that the government is implementing. So there are many more people like this who are just relying on minimum wage. And thus, it's reflected in their APF savings because even though you have worked for such a long time, this is actually how much do you have. So this is a very core problem that we should address. It's not only savings, it's not only financial management, but it's also the wages that people are work- getting while uh, they are working. And with the longer life expectancy, with the increase in cost of medical care, housing, yes, things are getting very, very much worse. And we will we will be sort of like uh, approaching this uh, old age poverty situation uh, in a very in a very short time. On the show with me today is Sivarajan Arumugam. He's the sec gen of Party Socialist Malaysia. After the break, we discuss the financial challenges that could make the implementation of an old age pension scheme difficult. Keep it here on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM eighty nine point nine. Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Darshan Johan. And on the show with me today is Sivarajan Arumugam. He's the Sankjan of Party Socialist Malaysia. And we are discussing PSM's new proposed old age pension scheme. So Siva, how would you respond to those who argue that the dismal levels of retirement savings, um, especially when it comes to EPF, is due to uh, 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 you know laziness or is the people's own fault? Because I think there is a tendency by some people, and um, perhaps these are hardworking people themselves who are in the uh, middle class or upper middle class bracket, um, who perhaps they are they are in, you know they are twenty nine years old. They look at their EPF and they are like, oh, I'm twenty nine. I already have eighty thousand, ninety thousand ringgit saved up. Um, you know, I'm hardworking, I made this happen. Perhaps the people who are not making this happen are just lazy or they are spending, you know, their money on un- unnecessary things and, and so on and so forth. How do you respond to that? I think what I related to earlier, I mean, mm-hmm. we have uh, a low-wage economy. I think no one can deny that. I mean, right. this whole region, we are competing against other ASEAN countries. We want foreign direct investments. So one of the pull factors that I think that most of our politicians, in fact, are selling to the uh, the investors. Are we are a low wage economy? You know, we please come and invest here. The labor unit cost is much lower. I mean, this is a reality. Even though people really don't say it out, it is a reality. I mean, just look at the government statistics themselves. In um, the the Department of Statistics, Malaysia says that in 2021, our average wage is only about three thousand. Right. It's only it's only three thousand. So what what kind of savings can you expect from that? And the median wage is only about 2,200. So this is what we are actually struggling with. That means that actually there's a great disparity. But are we saying that the workers of uh, in Malaysia, they're not productive? No, certainly not. Because like as socialists, what we do argue upon is that uh, the problem is not wealth creation. 
the problem is not productivity, but the problem is the distribution of this wealth. I mean, we can go to any of these big companies, even GLCs, for instance. I mean, we have the CEOs earning such a big salary, hundreds of thousands every month. Now, how was this wealth created? It was certainly not only on the effort of that single individual, that CEO that is getting so much, right? The wealth is being created by the workers below. But unfortunately, there's a great disparity in the income level between the highest level CEO, how much is earning, and the lowest rung worker within the same organization. So within any organization that we find, the wealth is being created, but it is being usurped by the top T20 or even maybe only the 1%. This is our problem. I still remember like when at the end of the Millennium Development Goals, uh, just before the Sustainable Development Goals were initiated by the United Nations, the biggest problem that they realized in the Millennium Development Goals was that uh, it's not a problem that the third world countries could not catch up economically, but the problem was within, whereby even though wealth was created, examples in some countries in Africa, there was wealth created, but it was not distributed well enough. So this is the biggest problem that we have today. And we cannot solve this problem by just demanding that increase productivity, increase productivity, we want more investments. You simply will not uh, cure this problem because it's not a problem of wealth creation. It's not a problem that we are not attracting investments. It's not a problem of we don't have a growth in our GDP, but we're not distributing it well enough. So for, forever, the government is, will be settled by the problem of addressing the poverty in our country because most of this wealth which is created by these people are being pushed up, are being pulled up by the T20. So while the government sort of hesitates to tax the T20 uh, efficiently, and they are, the government at the same time is burdened to support the poverty of this nation. Why? It's because of this economic system that we have that is uh, uh, un unjust, that we found that the wealth is not distributed and uh, the wealth of the workers, the value of what the, what the workers have uh, created, uh, it's not being distributed equally. I mean, if you look at the percentage of wages from GDP, we are less than 40%. And why should it be that way? It's, there's no equal distribution between capital and labour. So that is the core problem that we should we should look at. Siva, critics might argue with you and, and say that now, um, you know, in 2023, you know, the, the period that we are in right now is perhaps not the best time to expand government welfare, but to keep things tight, you know, clean up the system in terms of corruption. You brought up uh, productivity. Um, the critics might say that, you know, we should just focus on improving productivity given, you know, more than a decade of poor governance and that, you know, once we clean up all these things, um, naturally, um, you know, people will be more prosperous, they might have a bigger bigger wage, which will help them in their, in their older age, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and we, we are seeing this as, you know, austerity is sort of like a very popular thing around the world right now. Um, we see it, in, you know, whether it's in, in the UK, um, in the US, and, and so on and so forth, this idea that, you know, government should cut down their spending and, and so on and so forth. How would you respond to these criticisms? Well, I think the whatever the government is doing should not be a reason to cut back on social protection. I mean, that's that's the whole purpose of the government. Uh, if people are struggling to put food on the table, how can you delay that? How can you say that? Let's wait. Let me fight corruption first. You know, you maybe don't have to uh, have meals today. I mean, how how you cannot work in that way? I mean, this is the most vulnerable groups. People are living in poverty, and there's assistance to them must continue. 
I mean, if you just go back to the campaign that we have proposed, the 500 ringgit per month for those above 65 years of age, I mean, just to do a, a, a very rough calculation, assuming that uh, from the population of 4.1 million of those who are above 60 years, we'll, we, we're only proposing a scheme to start dispension after you are 65 years of age, 65, eh? not 60. Right. So we estimate that roughly about 1.8 million will require this assistance, uh, taking off those who are on government pension, on SOXO, uh, those who already have a private pension scheme, probably they are from the T20 and, and so on. Um, so we look at that, we, we work on 1.8 million, be given 500 ringgit per month, that works out to about 900 million per month. And that would work out to a budget of about 10.8 billion, roughly about 11 billion uh, per year. And I think this is manageable. Uh, this is a manageable figure because, I mean, just going back what the government has said, recently the Deputy Finance Minister, uh, YB Maslan, he mentioned in Parliament that, that if the government just takes off or stops the, the fuel subsidy for the 2020, that means we have a more targeted fuel subsidy, we can save 17 billion. I mean, that's well above what we require for this pension scheme, which will benefit close to 2 million people. And even uh, the prime minister himself has mentioned that if we can sort of cut short all of those leakages, the whole problems with the government procurement, I think the procurement is a huge problem in Malaysia. We have contractors, subcontracting, you know, two, three layers, you know, the rentier class. I mean, just by saving and cutting back and revamping the whole process of uh, government procurement itself, we can save close to 10 billion. And if you just look at the Auditor General's report every year, you, uh, the, the Auditor General is clearly saying that, you know, we can actually save about 20 billion, 30 billion a year if we can sort of cut back on a lot of these things. So the problem is not really that we don't have money, but over the 60 years under the rule of Barisan National, We've been spending so much. We had so many layers of privatization during the Mahade years. They're subcontracting basically to give businesses to the elite and so on to increase this business class. So the whole system is, is, is kind of messed up and money is leaking left, right, center, everywhere. So if we can really bring back all of this into a consolidated fund, I think we have money for this. kind, And these are the things that we cannot, we should not compromise. Like I said, that we are talking about people. We are talking about people with real lives here. We are talking about people that need to put food on the table. Now, how do we compromise on that? On on the other hand, we find that there's so extravagant spending by the government. You know, we can buy uh, this uh, uh, this combat ships which are never delivered, and we keep upgrading. Uh, I mean, upping the budget for that for them to deliver. There's so much of mismanagement there. So I feel that. Uh, while we look at the corruption, but we cannot sort of postpone such important things, especially now, especially now due to the demand for EPF withdrawals, that 148 billion, which is already been dispersed by EPF during the COVID times. So this, we are in a very dire situation and the government can, it can, the 11 billion, it can be dispersed for this particular purpose. 
Do you think, the, um, given that we are becoming an aging population, um, is the pension scheme going to get more expensive year on year? Um, how do you suggest we manage that? I'm wondering if, um, you know, we need to implement more progressive taxation um, before introducing this scheme, you know, whether it's higher taxation on income earners, the top income earners, or whether it's a wealth tax, capital gains tax, just to grow the, the government revenue a little bit. Yes, I think it's important. Um, our estimates are that if we start off the campaigns, the pension scheme uh, this year, 2023, uh, like I said, we will need about 11 billion because we are asking about 500 ringgit uh, to be paid monthly to uh, those who, who require and those who qualify under this pension. But in 2030, we are proposing that it should be increased to 650 ringgit per month because of cost of living has increased. And that will work out that we need roughly about 20 billion and in 2040, we are proposing that it should be increased to 900 ringgit per month. Right. And that would work out to about 38 billion. And thus, so on. By 2050, we are proposing uh, they should be given about maybe 1,002 and so on. I mean, this is another uh, another 20 years down the line. Right. So, yes, correct. Naturally, it will increase. Uh, with the increase in the population, uh, we have to take into account the increase in cost of living. But that's why I said that the government nearly needs to uh, look at the various sources of funds, which I think it is there. We, we've been asking for a progressive tax, basically a wealth tax uh, to be imposed on. If you don't want to disturb the millionaires, fine. You can go after the billionaires, you know. So if you can really put up a, a tax system, if those who are having wealth more than $2 billion, uh, from that itself, you can already generate more than 30 billion a year, uh, just taxing the billionaires alone. And of course, there's also uh, uh, offshoring of profits. That's a whole new area that the government must work within the region to make sure that all these businesses, the individuals who are profiting, they don't do uh, price transferring and they don't profit out of just offshoring the profits uh, overseas. And I think it's important for us to really look at to consolidate resources. Because I think there are a lot of uh, resources available, but they're everywhere. I mean, just look at under the federal government itself. Just look at welfare department. There are so many varieties of uh, benefits or benefit schemes. You have this bantuan, that bantuan, and, you know. Even some people who are applying for it, they get confused. Uh, there's so many types of bantuan with different, different uh, uh, requirements and so on. So why don't we consolidate all of this? And if you look at the state, each state government, they also have their own types of schemes. I think it's very important that we should target all of this because I think previously these things have been abused for political reasons, for political patronage. Every new government which comes into either the federal or the state level, they have sort of like uh, announced a new scheme. Okay, let's do this bantuan. Let's do that bantuan. And we found that all of these things, they're overlapping one uh, each other. So... Who is actually getting this benefit? Do they get the other benefit from the state level? I think it's, it is it is really a mess now. So I think what the government should do is to try to consolidate all of this and to make sure that those people who really require, those who really in need, they should be given uh, these pensions, they should be given the uh, benefits and the allowances. And we don't have this overlapping and so on. So there are many ways I think that the government can uh, get funds and we should also look at uh, all of those things that uh, uh, in terms of industry and investment that we will be giving away. I mean, no one really talks about how much of money uh, or revenue the government is losing when it's uh, giving out tax holidays for all these huge investors. 
no one really keeps tabs on actually how many years most of these huge MNCs go on tax holidays and tax breaks. I mean, there's there's a great loss of revenue there, and in, even in uh, uh, investments and what are the uh, the benefits that we're giving? Uh, we're giving some discounts in uh, whether in usage of uh, utilities. So there's many ways I think the government should look at, and this we should sort of revamp how the Ministry of International Trade and Industry is sort of ditching out this kind of benefits just to attract foreign investment. So if you look at all of this thing uh, in a holistic picture, I think there's many ways the government can uh, recoup a lot of re revenue and it has to do this uh, as soon as possible. So now that um, you all have launched this campaign, what are the next steps that um, you all are going to be taking to push um, so that this can become law, so that this can be implemented? I think next, the immediate step that we are doing now is that, um, of course, we want to have a roundtable discussion. Hmm. Um, like we said, this is an initiative by PSM. Uh, but we think that um, it, this is going beyond uh, just asking for a pension scheme. We are looking at a, a holistic social protection for our elderly people. So there will be many more other um, uh, demands or probably programs that we want to sort of include together with the pension scheme. And I think it's very timely that uh, recently the Minister of uh, Women, uh, Women Affairs, uh, Dr. Sri Nancy Shukri, announced that the government is looking at a uh, old age uh, old age or senior citizens bill, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So it all sort of comes together whereby that uh, we will have a round table uh, in 6th of May and uh, we are calling uh, most uh, civil society organizations or concerned individuals, whoever has been working with old age issues to come together and give inputs and to have a lively discussion on how we can enhance social protection for our senior citizens. This is just only the, the first round table. Beyond this, we are planning a second round uh, round table, which we hope to have probably uh, later the second half of this year. This is basically to address those questions from the critics that we discussed earlier. I mean, at once that every time that we announce such a program, the first comments that we're going to get, and we already received when we announced uh, two days ago, is that, why are you asking for this? Where the government is going to get money? You're asking too much. We are spoon feeding the senior citizens. You know, okay, we expected this, <laughs> but it's very important that what I said earlier is that we should have need to have an objective discussion on how actually we can get resources, how we can get increase the government revenue, and that is exactly what we are going to do in the second round of uh, roundtable discussions that we will have in the second half of this year to again bring back most uh, civil society uh, experts, economists, and whoever is willing to contribute to come in together and discuss, okay, this is our proposal on how the government should increase its revenue to enhance social protection for the elderly, not only for the elderly, but basically also to, to cover a lot of other areas. Like I think now we are getting a lot of pressure in the Kementerian uh, Kesihatan, you know, where, because they are unable to increase the increase uh, the intake of doctors so it's a, it's a huge uh, it's a huge effort whereby there's a lot of ways uh, we can, should increase revenue to benefit a lot of other sectors not only the old age but also health sector education and so on so these are our plans in the meantime while we do the roundtable discussions 
uh, our branches will also start uh, road shows. We are planning several road shows throughout the country from north and also the south where we will hand out leaflets and we will start uh, the signature petitions. Uh, the online petition has already been launched, is going on. Uh, and then we will also try to get as much signatures as we can. And we will also try to have uh, state-level discussions with several CSOs based on the state to get their support for this particular campaign. On that note, Siva, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Okay, thank you, Dashan. That was Sivarajan Arumugam. He's the SACGEN of Party Socialist Malaysia. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We are available on the BFM app, bfm.my, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. You just have to look up Beyond the Ballot Box podcast. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.